The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We're talking about visionaries. Can I say there's no such thing as a visionary? He's the visionary. Our job is to follow the pillar of smoke and the pillar of light. It's totally our job. It took me so many years to get that. It took me so many years. I've got this, Bob. I've got this. What you need to do is notice, son. Just notice what we're doing here. I've got this. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to look at at Abraham. He's not Abraham yet. He's Abram and the journey. This guy didn't do anything. Can I say that again? He just trusted God. Moses didn't do anything. He just trusted God. And he, and he pulled off amazing. He trusted God enough to stand in front of the Red Sea and hold a stick up in the air. Really? And the waters parted. Really? And it's not the amazing thing that the waters parted. It's the amazing thing that anybody went. You go first and text me when you get to the other side. I want to make sure this thing works. So these, these are people that just trusted God. We can do this. And there has never been a time when it's needed more than this. Really? Another shooting at Santa Fe? The government doesn't have the answer. The Church of Jesus Christ has the answer. And it's time for us to bring it. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 14. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for this time. Thank you that you would even bother to use us. Thank you that you would even bother to use us at such a time as this. And so, Father, as we study Abram willing to absolutely bring it and and risk the impossible... What he did was impossible, Lord. But you did it all. He just trusted. The outcome he knew it was up to you. Could we catch that for each of our lives, individually and specifically today? And we promise to give you and only you all the glory. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, we're we're looking at our culture today, and our culture needs you desperately. And there's never been a time when we just can't do church. We've got to get excited about bringing it out there and bring in people to church. But what happens is we worry, and if you're an outline taker, this is the number one thing we're going to look at. We worry about our future when we forget who holds our future. We worry about our future when we forget who holds our future. Your father's got the future. He loves you. He's got the future. That's, that's what we watch with Moses. That's what we watch with Abram and Abraham. And he forgot for a little bit, a- a- Abram did, when the famine came to, and he escaped to Egypt. He shouldn't have done that. It was a huge mess. And finally he came back. And there's an off and on. But he realized, okay, you have that. Now, I don't know whether you know this or not, but as an outsider, sort of, I know this. The rest of South Florida is looking at West Pines. It doesn't make sense. Really, on State Road 27, there's an Everglades on the other side of the road. The leaders were actually urged, do not put a church out there by other pastors. It won't happen. Really? Waffle Wednesday? What is that? And the number of people I've heard that came to Christ due to Waffle Wednesday? Yeah, something's happening here. And the rest of this community's talking about it. And the bottom line is not some special program. It, it ain't the waffles. It's God is deciding to use a gathering of people who are bringing it for Christ's sake and for his glory. And you're making a huge impact because you know why. 
When I was a little boy, not a little boy, actually, 16, my mom died of cancer. And my grandma came up first. Uh, we were living in New York, and my grandma came up from Washington, D.C., and went back. And she sent Aunt Jean. It was my dad and, and me and my younger brother. So it was my dad and two boys. And we were, I mean, we were out there. And so my Aunt Jean came, and my Aunt Jean had a very crass saying. She lived with us for several months while my dad was putting his life back together. And she'd catch me doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, and she'd say, Bobby, for Christ's sake, what are you doing? And it wasn't for four more years when Rosemary led me to Christ, and I'm trying to get my hands around it, I realized Aunt Jean had no clue she was right. For Christ's sake. We're here for Christ's sake. We're at school for Christ's sake. We're here doing the things, and as we do it for Christ's sake, wow. And can I say... Why would the great revival not take place right here? 118 established ethnic groups here. It can go throughout the entire world right from here, for Christ's sake. So what we're doing is for Christ's sake, we trust him. Now, as we look in Genesis 14, let me give you some background. Abram, well, he's Abram now. He's not Abraham yet. And you know the story of him. He doesn't have Isaac. He doesn't have a child with Sarah, his wife, until he's 100 years old. But he's been told all along, all along, all along by God. You know, every, every now and then God shows up when he's at, sitting at the door of his tent at noontime. You are going to have a child. You are going to have a child. And when he's 99, Abram is told, this time next year when I come by, Sarah will be pregnant with a child. And he has to choose to believe it or not. And the fun thing is God really puts, it, puts, it, puts him on the spot. He said, and I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham now. Abraham means father of many, many. Can you see him going to a business convention where they give him the name tag, father of many, many? Woo, how many do you have? None. <laughs> There's just a step of faith here. I know you told me to do this, so I'm going to do this. I, I, it, I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. I'm going to trust you with all my heart, period, end of story. That's what we're called to do. That's why he's here. But he's Abram now, and he leaves the Fertile Crescent, the Tigris and Euphrates, and he goes west and then south into nowhere land. And he goes initially with his family, but his father dies and his brother Haran dies. And so now it's Abram and his nephew Lot, and they arrive nowhere, and they're up in the mountains. And as they're nowhere, uh, he's building his flocks and building his flocks, and Lot is building his flocks and building his flocks. And all of a sudden, Lot comes to him and eventually says, there's not enough land, and our shepherds are arguing with each other. So we, we need to divide. And Lot should have said, you pick, for, you pick what you want it, uncle. Uncle Abram, but he didn't. And being gracious, Abram says, well, where would you like to go? Because I think Lot's already been looking down towards Sodom. Horrible place. So he says, I'll take the fields down, down in the valley where Sodom is. And he goes and takes the fields, but I'm not going in. I'm not, I'm not going to go in. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to take the fields here. And so he takes the fields, and then he moves closer to Sodom, and then he moves closer to Sodom, and then all of a sudden he's living in Sodom. And then he's on the so Sodom town council. It's a totally debauched place. And all of a sudden he's right in the middle of it. It's horrible. He's part of it. He's with them. Because that, that, that's the way evil is. Evil throws the lure out there, and if you don't bite it, it keeps throwing it. And if you don't bite it, it keeps throwing it. And all of a sudden you go after the lure and it reels you in and it's got you hooked. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I've never done this before, but I'm going to look at pornography today. It's just a slow. And then, how did I get here? Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to find somebody to have an extramarital affair with today. It's just a slow as the evil one reels you in. Reeled Lot into Sodom. And as a reeled Lot into Sodom, a war broke out. And the war broke out, and that's in Genesis 14.1. It says, about this time war broke out in the region. King Amraphel 
of Babylonia, King Arioch of Elisar, King Ketuliamor of Elam, and King Tidal of Goim. I would not like to be the king of Goim. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Attack. And when they attack, they attack in verse 2, five kingdoms that used to be under them. They conquered them 12 years prior to this. But these, including Sodom and including Gomorrah, but all of a sudden, all five of these little city kingdoms decide, we're not paying tribute anymore. Let's all band together and say, we're not paying tribute anymore. And so one year later, after paying tribute uh, for 12 years, they rebel, and we pick it up in verse 5. One year later, Ketuliamer and his allies arrived, and the stage is set for the Great War. And it's four kingdoms against five little kingdoms. And what happens is, Ketuliamer destroyed them all, completely destroyed them all. And it was horrible. And then it says in verse 7, that he swung, swung around to En Mishpat, now called Kadesh, and destroyed the Amalekites and also the Amorites living there in Hazan Tamar. But now the army of the kings of, of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adam, and uh, Zebim, and Bela, called Zor, prepared for battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. So it's four kingdoms, these massive kingdoms against these five little kingdoms. And what happened is, verse 10, as it happened, the valley was filled with tar pits. And as the armies of the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some slipped into the tar pits while the rest escaped into the mountains. Verse 11, the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and began their long journey home, taking all the wealth and food with them. Verse 12, very important. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and took everything. So Nothing happens to Abram because he's up in the middle of nowhere in the fields where he, in the mountains with his flocks where he was told to stay. Stay there. Stay there. You'll be good up there. He doesn't move down into the city. Nothing happens. Lot disobeys and moves down into the city and he's totally captured. And we see this picture here because chances are the kings didn't even know he existed. So if I just stay low key, everything will be fine. But in verse 13, one of the men who escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew who was camped at the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives, Eshcol and Anar, were allies, were Abram's allies. And so they come and say, your nephew Lot's been captured. He's been taken with everybody, all the women, all the children, all the spoils, and Lot. And you know, if I'm Abram, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm thinking, I told you not to go there. I told you to go nowhere near there. And all of a sudden, you're down there. What are you doing down there? And look what happened. And there's nothing I can do. There's nothing little me can do. There's absolutely nothing little me can do. But that's not him. Verse 14 says, When Abram learned that Lot had been captured, he called together the men born into his household, 318 of them in all. He chased after Ketuliamah's army until he caught up with them at Dan. Can we just stop? 318. Are we kidding? You want it to say 318,000. 318 going after four armies. And, and you have to think, and I love that immediately Abram does this rather than thinking about it, because sometimes I know there's things I'm supposed to do, but the longer I think about it, the longer I justify I can't really do that. How, how, how does that work for me? This is absolutely impossible. And we're called by God to trust him with the impossible. It's easy to trust him with the possible. It's easy to trust him with what I can do. But we're called to reach way past us and trust him with the impossible. Matthew 9, 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, 
Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. In another passage in John 14, all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching, and when Jesus is teaching, uh, the disciples come up to him and say, you've been teaching a really long time, and these people are being hungry. You need to send them to town to get something. It's so hilarious that they interrupt him in the middle of his teaching. And Jesus says, you feed him. It would take a fortune. It would take a fortune. Impossible. Impossible, they explained. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here, he said. You don't need to have more than you have to do the impossible with God. You only need to be willing to give what you have. It's not me, 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 mine, mine, mine. I need to be willing to let go, just let go. I need to be part of the great revival that's coming. I need to not get fearful because I'm watching Fox News and this has happened and this has happened and another school shooting. And what can, what can little old me do? Just do what's in front of me to do for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. And as an army called West Pines does that for Christ's sake and watching things happen and watching it get contagious, watching people get, wow, we can do this. We can be a part of this. Yeah, Luke 137, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Luke 18, 27, he replied, what is impossible from a human perspective is possible with God. So I think there's a picture here that as followers of Jesus Christ, he expects us to reach past us. He expects us to do more than we can do. He expects us to risk things that are doomed to failure for his glory unless he intervenes. And that's the next one. As followers of Jesus Christ, he expects us to attempt things that are impossible unless he intervenes. Impossible. It took me a long, long time to get this. And can I say, I, I don't have any stories other than Sheridanow stories and Rosemary Barnes stories. So forgive me, I just have Sheridanow stories. Rosemary Barnes wasn't impossible to begin with for me to marry, so I will say that. I did propose to her every four and a half years and got turned down, but I, you know, all things are possible. So I worked for the state of Florida back from 1971 to 1974, and while I'm working there, I found this little house. I did not start Sheridan House. A man named Bill Billingsley started Sheridan House, and I found this little house in Hollywood that was set up. It was initially a church, but it was three blocks east of 441, and at that time, they figured no one would live as far west as 441. Is that awesome or what? And so no one went to the church, and they converted it into a children's home, and they had five directors in five years. They kept burning through them, and I kept applying, and they didn't hire me, applying, and they didn't hire me, which was shocking. I mean, who wouldn't want some of this? But they didn't. <laughs> and so finally, they had absolutely no options. No one applied but me, but Bobby Barnes, and I, and I got the job. And so I'm there, and I'm going to rescue Sheridan House. I'm going to be the guy. And so it's amazing watching God back out of the way. Okay, we will let you be the Sheridan House Messiah and see how far this goes. And we were going under. It was horrible. And we're down to three employees, and I had this old panel truck, and I'm driving this panel truck at 6 a.m. Monday mornings to Publix on Sheridan Street when just the management was there because they were giving us free groceries. And all of a sudden, about my six-month mark, the panel truck, which was over 20 years old, breaks down, and the guy tells me, we can't even find parts for this. And I thought, oh my goodness. Now I'm driving this little Chevy Cavalier, that means I'm gonna make three stops at Publix to get the groceries. And 
towards the end of the week, a man named Norm Evans and Vern Denherter, who both played for the Miami Dolphins, come and see me and say, we've got some fine money here. What do you need? And I said, well, I don't know. Do you have a lot? And they said, yeah. I said, what is it? And they said, well, Shula has a fund set up that you put money in if you're over the weight he's designated you to have. And Larry Zonka's constantly over the weight, so there's a lot of money in there. And so I said, well, we need a new pickup truck. We just need a pickup truck. And one of the two, I can't remember which one, says, well, I'm I do commercials for Hollywood Dodge. Let me go get you a pickup truck. And all of a sudden, a pickup truck arrives a couple of days later. And I realized, wow, you got this. You got this. Oh, Bob, I've got so much more than this. Come on, reach past you. Reach past you. So I tell this story, and as I'm telling this story, then this Several single moms realize, so you guys have food, and two call and say, can we come by and get food? We're out of food. And I really don't want to share. I just want to stockpile. You know, mine, 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 mine. And so, but I, but I had to, sometimes you just have to act like a Christian when you're not acting like a Christian. And I said, yes, come by, and, 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 and praise God. Yeah, I'll give you some food. And so I give them food, and then another mom comes, and I give her food, and I'm walking it out to the parking lot for her car, and uh, it's no car. I said, Beverly, where's your car? And she said, I got repossessed. And then she said to me, do you ever get cars given here? I said, well, no, not really. And I sort of flippantly said, you pray about it. If we get a car, it's yours. That was 10 o'clock. A little after four, I get a call from the hospital administrator, Pembroke Pines Hospital, and he says, Barnes. He said, lunchtime I went to trade in my wife's three-year-old Volvo. Uh, it's in great condition. Uh, it's just time to upgrade. I can't believe what they think it's worth. If I give it to Sharon House, can I get a full tax write-off? And I said, absolutely. He said, well, come and get it before I change my mind. So I'm driving over with a friend in my little Chevy Cavalier to pick up this Volvo, wondering how I could swap them <laughs> and keep, but I knew Rosemary wouldn't let me do that, so I didn't do that. She wasn't surprised. This lady wasn't surprised. And I go home and tell Rosemary, and she says, you do know you're in the single mom ministry, right? Oh, you're right. It's not just children's homes. We're in the single mom ministry. Can I say last year 3,100 single moms? We didn't have a clue. The visionary had a clue. But we watched with vision to see, what are you doing? What are you doing? We want to be a part of what you're obviously already doing. You don't need our help. You permit our help. What are you doing? That's for all of us. This past... Uh, two Fridays ago, we did the ribbon cutting on the new single mom triplex in our single mom village. I'd given up on that two years ago. I'd taken the rendering off the wall. It's not going to happen. When somebody comes and says, can I build the first one? And then at the ribbon cutting, three more families came and said, can I have one? Can we have one? Can we have one? It's when I get out of the way. It's when I stop being the visionary and start looking at the visionary and catching his vision. Okay, what are we doing here? What needs to be done here? Yeah, as followers of Jesus Christ, he expects us to attempt things that are impossible. They're impossible unless he intervenes. Today, we pick up groceries every day from Publix. We need a huge truck for that. Today, we pick up groceries every day from Trader Joe's. We had to install three massive walk-in freezers. Where'd they come from? I have no clue. And it's hilarious. When people fly in from other places in the country that want to do what Sheridan House does, and I tell them on the phone, don't come. I really, really don't know. I just know it's him. And a group came in from a big children's home outside of Atlanta, and he walked, we walked around, and I'm telling him, he said, you really don't know, do you? No, I have no clue how this happened. But I'm the guy that gets to be here and watch it. And if I don't get in the way, and if I don't tighten up, if I don't tighten up me personally, and in the ministry, after the hurricane, 
We're keeping a lot of single moms in their, in their apartments because a lot of them were waitresses working their way through college. And I, the comptroller who came down the hallway, he's awesome. He used to be the comptroller back in Cincinnati for Enterprise Auto. And so he's a businessman. He, he, he came out early and took the payoff and came out at 44 and became our comptroller. And he's coming down the hall very concerned at how much money we're spending, spending keeping these moms in their, in their apartments. And he said, when do you stop? I said, well, how do we not... How do we let them go into their cars, living in their cars? We can't do that. That was in the morning. That evening, he comes into my office. He said, somebody you know, and it's a cashier's check, so they don't want you to know who it is, just came by with a $50,000 check to help at the apartments. I didn't do that. He did that. And can I say, in a graduating high school class of 1,200, I was number 588, not exactly most likely to succeed. <laughs> All him. All him. Absolutely all him. Yeah, this has nothing to do with us. This has to do with having the privilege. So all of a sudden, there are 318 fighting men are going after Kedali Amor and his armies. This is ridiculous. This is impossible. But he knew, I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to give it up at this level. And so in verse 15, there he divided his men. How do you divide 318 men against four armies? Okay, you two go over there and you two go over there. I mean... You're going to want to see this on the DVD in heaven, how this one happened. There he divided his men and attacked during the night from several directions. Kedoli Amor's army fled, but Abram chased them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram and his allies recovered everything. The goods that had been taken, Abram's nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and the other captives. This kind of risk... Giving more than you're comfortable with giving, inviting people to church more than you're comfortable doing, speaking up more than you're comfortable. This is the risk that's really not a risk, but it blesses, blesses the heart of God. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this risk. Look at this. Yeah, next on your outline. When you know God wants you to do something and it's a risk, it's one of the highest forms of worship. It's one of the highest forms of worship. Not many agree with me on this. I need to say this up front. I'm not sure this is worship. I think this is praise, study, fellowship, and go out. I think worship is what we do out there for the glory of God. Let me validate it with Romans 12.1. In Romans 12.1, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he's done for you, in view of the mercy of God, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That means giving it up. My stuff as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's what I personally do to the point of sacrifice. When they used to come to the temple, they would bring the sacrifice. It was a sacrifice. Feeling it. My stuff's not for me. I get more stuff than I can dream in heaven. It's a, it's a time now, America, where we've never needed the church ever as much as now. And for a church like this that's so unbelievably healthy, it's time to push. It's time to do things that look like risk. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then it goes on to warn in verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So years ago, I was speaking in Jacksonville, and a man came up to me when we were walking to the car from speaking, Rosemary and I were both speaking separately, and he said to me, what you did in there, you need to put in a book. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing at him, and when I don't know how to respond, I use humor, and you know, you mean a comic book, or what are we talking about here? And he says, no, you need to put this in a book. And uh, he said, I'm just telling you, you need to put it in a book. So we're driving back from Jacksonville, and Rosemary pulls the legal pad out of her briefcase and says, we've got five plus hours, just give me 20 chapter headings. And so just to have something to do, I gave her 20 chapter headings, and my admin typed it up, and it was on the corner of my desk, and it stayed there. And that summer, we brought in some summer interns from Wheaton College, and when it was done, one of the interns, Tim, said, is that going to be a book? And I said, I doubt it. I don't think so. I, he said, can I take a copy with me back to Wheaton? I said, you can take the whole thing. He said, no, I'll take a copy. He takes a copy, and about, honestly, about a month and a half later, I get a call from Wheaton, uh, from Tyndall House Publishers, which is in, in the Wheaton area. Tyndall House Publishers is one of the largest Christian publishing houses, and I didn't know that Tim was going back to make some money in the fall building the deck on the back of the editor-in-chief of Tyndall House, and he hands it to him. This is a ridiculous story. So I get a phone call, and this man says, my name is Dr. Wendell Hawley. I'm editor-in-chief of Tyndall House Publishers. I know it's not him. I know it's one of my friends messing with me. <laughs> I am so nasty to this guy on the phone. I want a million-dollar advance before we talk. I'm not falling for this. I even knew who I, I... Dan Gossett's dad. I just knew it was Ron Gossett messing with me. And so, I, and so this guy starts laughing, and when he starts laughing, he says, well, obviously you don't think I am who I say I am. Uh, but I'll send you a letter on my letterhead if you're interested, call. So he sends me a letter, and, and I'm in shock, and I call him, and he's laughing the minute he picks up from his, his secretary telling him it's me, and he said, you are probably the hardest person I've ever tried to get to write a book. And I said, well, let me give you the honest, the honest honest. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know how to do a book. He said, don't do a book, do a chapter. Mail me a chapter. And then he'll call and say, mail me another chapter. He, he was patient for a year, mail me another chapter. And the book came out, and I thought, because of not making much money, I thought, this is my way right here to, to do things financially. And so I decided I'm selling the book. Tyndall House, and then when I go to seminars, I'm selling the book. And I did it the first year, and it made about $500 the first year, me selling the book at seminars. And Dr. Hawley became a friend and flew in town from time to time, and he said, uh, I want to encourage you to let Sheridan House make the money from the book. Let Sheridan House sell it. I said, really? He said, no, most guys keep the money themselves. But I'm seeing a little thing in you a dependency on, I want, I want to encourage you to let Sheridan House sell the book. And I'm, I'm going home to Rosemary, $500 is a lot of money to me, and I go home and she says, I think that's a great idea. And I said, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> and so, okay, we will do it. And in the humor of God, that Feb February, James Dobson picked it up and made it the book of the week. And then Chuck Swindoll picked it up. And I'm getting gasping a little bit because I made the deal that Sheridan House could sell these books and they tell them cheaper to Sheridan House than they would to me because of that. So we get to the end of the year and I get down the hall to the comptroller and I said, how much, how much did Sheridan House make off that book this year? And he says, a, a little over $100,000. And he says, are you going to do it next year? And I said, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> and I go home to Rosemary and say, I want to talk about the book deal. I'll never forget this. She said, so how many zeros? And I said, what does that mean? how many zeros would you change your mind for? And I, th I said, I hate when you do that. <laughs> Today, Sheridan House has made 1.3 million. I'm convinced of this. It would have been $500. And I have a really good life. Bob, I want you all in with me, son. 
I, want, I need you to be all in. And your security in life, son, too much so has been this right here. Everybody knows what they're little. If I just have enough here and just, I want you all in, son. I really got this, but can I trust you with this? Can I trust you with more, and th- more of this? Yeah, next on your outline. It's time for us to risk the impossible and watch God do the impossible. It's time for us to risk. Abram attacks, coming back into the valley. The hard part hasn't happened yet. Coming back into the valley with a huge victor's parade, people coming out of hiding in the mountains, all the spoils of war, all the people released from their slavery. Yeah, but why? Because Abram did a Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I think this is one of the most pivotal verses in all the Bible. Bob, just trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's this way. And lean not to your own understanding because you trust me and then there's a little bit of a problem and you're starting to lean. Maybe I need to take it back. Maybe. No, trust me with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him. In other words, in every decision, acknowledge him. I know who you are. You're Lord God Almighty. What will he do? And he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. The straight path he has for you. So we pick it up and we watch God step dramatically on the way home as he enters the valley into Abram's life. And it's so cool because I wonder, and we'll find out in heaven, if Abram's coming back with all these spoils of war going, wow, this is kind of, the mansion I could build with this would be unbelievable. Wow. As he's coming back. We pick it up in verse 17. As Abram returned from his victory over Amor and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shevel, that is the king's valley. So the king of Sodom is coming here. The king of Sodom wants to negotiate for things. What, what part of my, is there any, can I get my stuff back? And at that same time, cutting off the king of Sodom comes one of the strangest characters in all the Bible, and it's very controversial who this man is. Some believe it's Jesus. Some commentators believe it's Jesus. It says, then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and prince of God, priest of God, most high, brought him bread and wine. So let's start with the word, one of the definitions for Salem is peace. King of peace or prince of peace. This guy Melchizedek, and we'll build it better in a minute, brings him bread and wine. They're doing the Lord's Supper together. This is bizarre. Melchizedek in Hebrews 7.1 says this, this Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also priest of God most high. When Abram was returning home after winning a great battle against many, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abram took a tenth of all he had won in the battle and gave it to Melchizedek. His name means king of justice. He is also king of peace because Salem means peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever resembling God. We don't know who this guy is. We'll find out in heaven. Melchizedek night will be a night you don't want to miss. Who is this guy? But watching this happen, and just before the king of Sodom, the pagan king comes up, God sends Melchizedek right in there because Melchizedek is going to remind Abram of something in verse 19. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has helped you conquer your enemies. Yeah. Abram, I want you to know you didn't do this, son. Make sure you know you didn't do this. That stuff, irrelevant. 
You didn't do this. Abram, Abram, Abram. You're coming back to a victor's parade. People are screaming your name. They're cheering you. People are falling at your feet. You didn't do this, son. Don't forget how you got here. Blessed be Abram by, by, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has helped you conquer your enemies. Yeah, and Abram gives him a tenth of everything. Next on your outline, our mandate is to always remember how we got here. Remember who. Remember who has blessed you. Remember who has blessed you. Probably the most challenging season of my life in the ministry is when we knew we needed to move off the six-acre campus off of 441, and we just couldn't build anymore. And it was time to move and time to get in a different location. And we were looking for properties and couldn't find it, and looking for properties. And one of the guys on my board came and said, you know, there's 60 acres. It's the one of the last big chunks left. 60 acres on the corner, basically, of Flamingo and 595. And I'm just looking at him like, really? Why are we talking about this? I didn't say that out loud, but really. And he's, I said, how much does he want for it? He says he wants half a million an acre, 500,000 an acre. Time. And I'm going, 500,000 an acre times 60. Hmm, that's $30 million. And he said, well, let's just go make him an offer. So we make him an offer, and instead of 500,000 an acre, we offer him 50,000 an acre. No one can even look at him. And he counters with 53,000 an acre, wherever that came from. Everybody's ecstatic but me. And so we say, done, so 3.1 million, and we go out, and we're, we're just, they're crazy, I'm not. And they're saying, what's the matter? I said, we just committed to $3.1 million. What were we thinking? And they said, how much does Sheridan House have? I said, we have $10,000. <laughs> and it was a pastor who said, you know, you've been an interim in all these churches. Ask each church to give 53000 and buy an acre, which most of them did. Some gave two acres. And then I watched some people in this room take money out of their whatever and buy acres. And all the land was built, was paid for. And I remember driving out front of this empty 60 acres saying to God, if I never get to see a building here, I'm good. I can't believe we have this land. And we're building and building and building. And I don't have a clue how that happened. It's almighty God. Can I say, he loves your church, his bride, more than Sheridan House. It's time to bring it. It's time to bring it to the school. It's time to bring it to your neighborhoods. It's time. They're so hopeless out there. And you have the answers. Yeah, the mandate, our mandate, our mandate is to always remember how we got here. Remember who has blessed you because that will give you the why. Once you have the remember, the why it's not as important as the what. What you do, what you give, what you say, the why. Why am I doing this? For Christ's sake. It's all for Christ's sake. I want to hear the faint voice, well done. That was a stretch for you, Bob. I got you covered. Well done. Well, after Melchizedek vanishes, verse 21, the king of Sodom told him, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Of course I can. I can keep every bit of everything, even the people. Spoils of war. But Abram was ready for this. Melchizedek helped him slam at home. You didn't have this victory. The spoils of war aren't yours, they're his. The spoils of war. Abram applied, I have solemnly promised the Lord God, most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from you. Otherwise you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. 
Can you see him going into battle? Father, if you give us this impossible battle and we win, I'll give everything back to you. But there's something that happens after he blesses us. Well, that was a little rash on my part. That's why Melchizedek came up. Don't forget how you got here. Don't forget how you got here. You could be living in a third world country right now, son. Don't forget how you got here. Don't forget how blessed you are. You're going to eat today. Don't forget how blessed you are. Yeah, I can see him coming back and all of a sudden, wow, Melchizedek comes in and says, don't forget. What's Abram's response? No, I'm giving it all back because when people say, boy, that guy up there is really rich. Yeah, it's all my stuff. I made him rich. No, no, no. Almighty God. Almighty God. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I am the one who made Abram rich. All I'll accept is what these young men of mine have already eaten, but give a share of the goods to my allies, Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre. Now, I don't need it. I don't want it. Glory to God. Why? For Christ's sake. Why? For Christ's sake. We've got a world out there that's terrified. We've got a world out there that's so locked in on the media, the next tragedy, the next tragedy, the next tragedy. We've got to be a part of the solution. The government won't change this. The media is damaging this. We've got to show our friends and tell our friends, I know the answer. Come to church. Come to Christ. Some of you might be sitting there, I would like to lead somebody to Christ. I don't know how to do that. Can I say, I didn't either. Sitting with a man, having lunch, well, he's finishing working on my car. I got him lunch, and I knew just enough to, be damp- to cause problems. And I shared the gospel with him. And I said to John, I said, does this make sense to you that Jesus died on the cross for you and for me to save us of our sins so that we can have the life we're meant to have here and have a life in heaven? Does this make sense to you? Tears running down his face. And he says, yes, yes. I literally said before I could stop it, really? <laughs> and watching him, and I realized, you don't need me. You don't need me. You just need me to do the effort. The results are yours. Effort, results are yours. I just need to show up. The results are yours. I just need to big give. Reach out, give big. Invite big. Yeah, lastly, why you do the things you do is more important than what you do. Why? For Christ's sake. Why? For Christ's sake. Yeah, I want to say something special is happening here right now. This is where my tithe goes, not because of who the pastor is, because I began to see many, many years ago something special is happening here. I want to be a part of that. Because when the story's told and the great revival comes out of South Florida because of the 118 established ethnic groups, I want to be able to tell my great, 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 oh yeah, I was all in on that. All in on that. I want to be a part of that. You guys are a part of that. It's time to go big. It's time for each of us to find our place. Now, some of you are here today thinking, I hear you, Bob, and I, I kind of wandered in and yike. Um, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. It begins with Jesus Christ. It begins, and that's just the beginning. It begins with Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity right where you are. In a moment, I'm just going to encourage us all to bow our heads. In a moment, I'm going to then say a prayer slowly that you say quietly in your heart to yourself. I remember doing this 20 years old. It was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. And then all of a sudden, I had no clue Jesus would have this life tailor-made for me. Wow. So I don't know where you're at today. I implore you, begin it. And it's just the beginning.
begin by saying this prayer, by accepting the fact that Jesus took your place on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Say that prayer silently in your heart. Would you bow your heads? And as you bow your heads, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for you. Thank you for you. Today, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. That's easy. I know me. Today, I thank you for taking my punishment by dying. Today, I thank you for coming back Easter to show that you are God. Thank you. Today, I thank you for being my savior. From now on, I'll make you my Lord and I will get the life I was meant to have. But most importantly, today, I know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Thank you. And Father, for all of us today, for all of us in this room, we want to, we want to be a part of the impossible that you're doing. We want to reach big, Lord. We want to reach big for your glory and for Christ's sake. Thank you for using such foolish us. You could do it all without us, but you allow us to be a part. So I thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.